0: Government agencies were not spared their share of cybersecurity-induced data breaches last year. The latest comprehensive report from Verizon shows that 16% of breaches hit the public sector. Here with some of the most important takeaways, Tim Erland, Vice President of Strategy at Tripwire. Mr. Erland, good to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom.
0: Aside from the fact that 16% of the breaches did hit public sector entities, and I presume that includes federal agencies, what else characterizes the threat and breach scene? As, as evidenced by this very long Verizon report?
1: Well, if you're not familiar with the Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report, it's an, an annual report that really marks a milestone for the, the cybersecurity industry. And one of the great values in this report is that it provides a, a high-level view into to cybersecurity incidents and breaches overall, but then it drills into individual sectors and provides really great analysis and color for those sectors. One of those sectors is what they, they label public uh, public administration. And that's where we see the, the government-related data. So those high-level statistics are useful, but if you want to know what's happening in your sector, it's, it's a great way to drill in. And in this case, what distinguishes the, the public administration sector from other sectors uh, that are analyzed is really the, the focus on cyber espionage as the um, objective of attackers in that sector, and that's something that actually has increased since last year. So they uh, include in the report uh, an increase from 25% of attacks to 42% of attacks uh, involving cyber espionage. That's a huge increase. Um, and uh, 79% of all the breaches uh, involved external actors. So that tells you that uh, cyber espionage committed by external actors is really the, the vast majority of. Uh, breaches, those uh, incidents that actually compromise data in the public administration sector.
0: And that really stands in contrast to the motivation of the breaches in the private sector, which is, it seems to be the majority of them are financial motivation.
1: That's true. Uh, you know, there are different ways to monetize stolen data or copied data, but fundamentally, outside of government, most of the attacks are focused on on generating some kind of a profit from some data that, that attackers can access or copy.
0: And how is it that Verizon, or how are, how is an agency to know the motivation of a breach that it is, in fact, espionage? What are the signs that espionage or theft of intellectual property in some form, how do you know that?
1: Well, there are a number of ways uh, to attribute uh, specific attacks to a, an attacker or a motivation. And one of the real values of this particular report is the the level of due diligence and the infrastructure that's been put in place for reporting. Um, it's a, a report that collects data from uh, a, a different networks of, of um, you know, reporting infrastructures from different governments from a number of different uh, organizations. So it's really a, a well, uh, you know, a founded report in terms of the data collection, um, and that, that's what gives it a lot of weight in terms of, of decision making in the cybersecurity industry.
0: And when it comes to that motivation, whether financial or espionage then that means that the denial-of-service attack becomes the less important form of what hackers are trying to do.
1: This is one of the really important distinctions in reading the report, actually. Uh, the report does categorize uh, incidents and breaches. An incident is any kind of, of, of cybersecurity event that required a response. A breach is one where there was confirmed data compromised. And when you look at the distinction between those two, you're absolutely right. A denial-of-service attack is by far the, the leading attack pattern for incidents, but it has almost no bearing on on breaches where data was compromised because, of course, it's a, a denial of service, not a, um, a data compromise kind of attack pattern.
0: And as one of the difficulties in this whole field is that a denial of service attack, you know the second it's going on because there's a denial of service, whereas data breaches could happen days, weeks, sometimes even months after the implantation of the of the malware that would purloin that data.
1: If malware is involved, that's true. It's also that time to discovery is also one of the, the um, unfortunate distinguishing factors for uh, the public sector um, that uh, breaches took longer to discover in government. Um, they're two and a half times more likely to take years to discover in government than in other sectors. So that's another takeaway from this report for, for government specifically.
0: We're speaking with Tim Erlin. He's vice president of product management and strategy at Tripwire. The other thing you mentioned, too, is that the number of insider attack-caused breaches is relatively small compared to those that are coming in from the outside. You also hear that agencies spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of activity on what they call the insider threat. Is all of that energy and time and activity misplaced?
1: I would say it could be, but generally, no. Small does not mean insignificant. In this case, you're you're looking at about 30% of breaches. Um, involving some kind of of either privilege misuse or error by errors by insiders, those are things that that should be taken care of. Um, it's always possible to overinvest. So it's important for uh, an agency or um, department to look at their investment and look at the, the threats that exist and make sure that they're balanced appropriately. But that doesn't mean that if, you're, if you feel like you're over-investing in, in insider threat that you should suddenly stop investing in it, because that, that threat is also very real. 30% is a, a significant number.
0: And if a lot of the insider threats are the result of mistakes and not malfeasance, then maybe that would suggest some training as opposed to other more expensive measures could mitigate that in kind of a risk management approach.
1: Yeah, I think a combination of training and technical controls are appropriate there. Uh, you know, most of the mistakes would come from from unplanned change or changes that weren't uh, performed as part of a change management process. So getting a handle on how you make changes in your environment, how you approve those changes, how you make sure that, that they're appropriate to the environment is a, a good way to cut down on on uh, errors.
0: Sure. And while we have you, Tripwire is one of the contributors to the report. There's a lot of cybersecurity firms involved. Give us a sense of the methodology in general that they use to come up with these statistics that look pretty authoritative.
1: Sure. Uh, so there's a, a, a very standardized process for collecting this data, and it's been collected for, for many years. Um, there's a system called Veris that's used uh, to collect data, not just from uh, vendors. One of the great values of Of this report is that the data is collected from a huge variety of institutions and governments. So the data that's collected is standardized in many cases. It's high quality. Um, It's uh, reported directly from the the most authoritative sources, Um, and it's a you know a wide set of data, global data.
0: So if you're a federal IT practitioner, cybersecurity, CISO type of person. What are the big takeaways from this year's
1: report? That's always an important question to ask. You know, there are endless statistics out there that you can read about for cybersecurity, whether they're they're good or bad. They're, the real question is, what are you going to do about it? What are the takeaways? And in this case, you know, there are a pretty clear set of recommendations for uh, government agencies and, and public sector. Uh, I think user awareness training is a, a key one. Uh, you see a lot of these uh, breaches start with email, with phishing, with uh, attacks on people as a target, as opposed to technical systems or, um, uh, you know, technical assets. So that user awareness training is important. You should also work on making sure that the technical controls you have around email are solid uh, because, you know, training only goes so far. Um, Once a compromise takes place, there's a pretty clear pattern in the public sector around using a a backdoor or a command and control uh, system to provide uh, communication out of the, the, the environment. So monitoring for suspicious egress traffic, traffic out of your environment is important. And then finally, there's sort of a combination of controls that are really just about uh, reducing the attack surface inside of your environment. So once a compromise has occurred, you wanna prevent that attacker from being able to do what they'd like to do easily inside of your environment. And that involves doing things like managing your configurations, making sure that assets are configured securely and that they stay that way. Uh, Making sure that there aren't vulnerabilities in your environment that are easy to exploit for an attacker. Uh, So, you know, you want to make the attacker work hard to move laterally inside of the environment. And then finally, malware, as you mentioned, malware is a popular tool for attackers. uh, And making sure that you've closed the malware gaps, I would call them, in your environment. So you may have malware, anti-malware tools deployed on your desktops or your laptops, but making sure that all of the systems in your environment are covered and there, there aren't gaps there is a great control to put in place as well.
0: Many federal agencies have put in the DMARC technology, the DMARC standard to protect against phishing emails. How effective has that been so far, do you think?
1: Well, I think the, the evidence is actually in, in the report. Email security, phishing security is not a solved uh, solved problem by any means. Um, we definitely saw that the attack pattern in the public sector uh, most often starts with email. And that's something that, that, that it has in common with other areas. Uh, 94% is the the number there of, uh, you know, malware delivery methods. So when you look at malware as an attack pattern, the most common way that malware gets delivered 94% of the time is via email. So um, there's definitely room for improvement there.
0: Tim Erlin is vice president of strategy at Tripwire. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We'll have a link to the Verizon report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com federaldrive Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.
1: The people who looked through 200 resumes to fill a job also waited 40 minutes for their internet to dial up. You don't wait 40 minutes for your internet to dial up. You use Upwork to quickly hire talent.
0: This is how we work now.